0: Thank you. Welcome to Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. These candid, unfettered talks create connection and inspiration across the human story. These are the sharings of how we came to be ourselves, how we found our life's purpose, and how we made it from there to here. I speak with performers, artists, artisans, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and other remarkable people about what they do and how they came to do it. Also, the music you hear on this show is performed, as always, by Brad Watson. Today I speak with stellar actor and inspired educator Bernard Addison. We discuss his upbringing in Columbia, South Carolina, discovering acting in middle school, honing his craft at university, living as a young working actor in regional theater while living in New York, performing Shakespeare at Ashland, making the move to Los Angeles and finding a thriving theater community, an epic tale involving a complication between the stage and a stint on Frasier and the vital role the arts play in education and for humanity as a whole. Great talk and moving too, I think you'll find. Hope you enjoy. Here's me and Bernard. So here we go. Hello there, Bernard Addison. Thank you so much for being on today.
1: Oh no problem. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Uh so and and our connection is uh our mutual friend Ashley Hayes whom you grew up with in in, in Columbia, South Carolina.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And, and uh so I did want to ask you about that about uh your beginnings. We're we're going to go back in the Wayback machine. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and and you so you're from Columbia, South Carolina. And I am a, me a native. Bit about yes. Your, your origination point?
1: Um, well, like I said, I'm a native. Um, and uh, I grew up in, you know, relative, I guess, I don't know, you know, one can say poverty, but I don't think it's poverty. I, 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 when everybody's there and things are being taken care of, you know, that type of poverty is not the same as the poverty of today um so um we got by my father was a tailor Um, my mother worked in uh one of those electrical you know assembly line jobs um and you know very you know i don't know i mean it wasn't it wasn't anything go growing up in it it was just existing and you know going to school and liking school liking reading liking all these other things that i discovered my neighborhood friends you know pulled away from and so um and then from there going into high school and uh getting introduced to acting and creativity um Set me on the path where I am now. So you know. So yes. So it, it's a it's a it's it's a it's a non it, you know it's an, it's an uneventful childhood that had a lot of you know touchstones of this is what you're going to do, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool.
0: So you when you when you got the acting bug in high school, w- were your parents?
1: Actually, it was middle school. Um, yeah. I've told this story many times, um, and I keep forgetting that there, there's a new audience to hear the story. Um, when I was in I think it was seventh grade, um, I was doing well. This was still in the time of busing, and so I was, you know, taken away from my neighborhood school in sixth grade and bused three miles to a school to integrate um and it was a it was a shock it was a culture shock but it, it it was but it wasn't a culture shock in the in the you know classic sense of we don 't want you here it 's just a culture shock this is oh mm-hmm. this is what we 're doing um right. and and you know i 'm next to these people that you know I know nothing about their lives and they know nothing about mine, but we 're in the same class um I, at that time i was a <clears throat> I was overweight. And because I just didn't care about anything that was, you know, physical. I love my books and and you know I loved class. And I remember there was a uh uh day that they have, I guess, where they, you know, introduce activities, extracurricular um classes or things for kids to do after school or on an activities period. And you know there was nothing that really caught my eye, and some of my uh, cohorts, you know, because middle school kids are cruel. Um, so they said, "Oh, well, Bernard, you should sign up for the football team because you could be the entire offensive line." And right. I remember hearing that and going, well, if I were even thinking about." doing football i'm not going to do football because you just said that Mm -hmm. and so i'm gonna look and try to find something else um and then i remember because not only did i like to read i like to watch a lot of tv and one of the things i like to read was tv guide because it like it it had both things for me i could read about the program i'm going to see and then i can see the program um And so I actually had a subscription to TV Guide, I just did. And, you know, and I remember going, well, I remember like my favorite comedy was Good Times, but my favorite drama was The Waltons. And I liked that drama thing. So I asked the teacher, what about this drama thing? And I must've hit on the ear of a wannabe drama teacher. She lit up and she was like, Oh my God, yes, a drama club. We can have a drama club. If you can find five other people, then we can have a drama club. I'm like, oh, we can do that kind of thing? Okay. And then I got my friends to sign up. And then we had a drama club. And, uh, you know, the first production we did was a radio production. Um, it was during the holidays, it was called Santa Calls a Conference. And it was about all the other Santa Clauses and uh, that were getting together because Christmas was going to be canceled because of something. I don't know what it was, but, you know, all the different ones, St. Nicholas, you know, Santa, and I played Pierre Noel. And um, we did it on the PA system the last day of school before we went off on our our um, break. And I remember doing it and then leaving and then getting into the bus. And I walked onto the bus to go home and everybody on the bus started applauding. And they all were like, oh my goodness, we, you were great, man. You were the loudest person there. And I was like, oh, well, these are the same kids that said that if I were, you know, if I signed up for the football team, I could be the front line. I'm like, oh, okay, Uh I guess this is it. You know, and so I was like, okay, this is the right choice then. And so I pursued that choice.
0: Yeah, you found your people and you found your voice and you found your mode of expression and a way to be appreciated Yeah. by these people who are otherwise snarky to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and then, you know, from show after show after show after show, you know, people were like, oh, my goodness. And then, of course, everybody's like, oh, he's talented, you know, and then you know, went to a high school that was very competitive. Uh, At that time, there was no such thing as a professional arts.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, it was just schools with drama programs. And um, my high school had a very good drama program, had a very good um, group of, you know, drama teachers. One was the teacher and then he left, and then he came back and formed a professional theater company in South Carolina. And another one but he recruited another person to like take over the drama program so it didn't just die and so we ended up like you know we were one two three in the in the drama competitions in the state you know when i graduated we were number one we won the major trophy won all swept all the awards you know we were we were we and we got block letters you know the the that was the same year that our that was the same year that our school won the state basketball championship, and on that basketball championship, for those who are who know their basketball and know their sports, um, I went to school with Xavier McDaniel and Tyrone Corbin, and of course, if you know your NBA, they were big, you know, big people, and so we were all together, and at the same time, we were like going, well, you know, why should they get a block? And they want a state, and we don't get a block. And we want a state, and the principal agreed and said, "Okay." So we had this big dinner, and we had our block letters for drama. That was cool.
0: Wow! So this set you up for University of South Carolina Columbia, where you went and studied. Yeah,
1: yeah. I started going. I actually started working there before I, um, you know, became a student there. Um, I did a show as a sophomore because um, they needed. They needed, they frankly needed a black actor and they didn't really have one. <laughs> and so somebody said, well, I think about, I think there's this kid in high school that you may want to look at. And I went and auditioned and I spent the summer working at a university.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that was, so that was, a, that was wonderful. Got me a, a taste of, you know, university freedom life with different thinkers, adults. I'm in the room with the adults. Mm-hmm. and so that was fun
0: well but, and you you were, a, yeah so you were you were a kid living the life of the mind anyway from the get-go so you must this must have been heaven for you
1: oh it was great it was great it was it, it was you know um it may have been intimidating but i knew how to i i just wanted to act and even when i wasn't doing it well which I'm pretty sure as a 16-year-old kid, I wasn't doing it well, but I was showing up and I was showing the enthusiasm and people were willing to keep feeding me and keep giving me advice, you know, where I could do it well for my age. Um, And, um, you know, and and that set the stage for when I, you know, um, graduated. Um, My father died suddenly um, at the end of my junior year and that changed my trajectory because I was planning on going elsewhere or like I wanted to get out. I wanted to move away and all this stuff and then my father died suddenly and I decided well nope I don't want to do that to my mother. I wanted so I should stay here and I know I can get a USC and I'll just do that and, I, and that's what I did.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you um do you, were you an only child?
1: No. No, we had uh, a total of five of us. Um, my oldest sister died when I was young, but yeah, but three of us lived. Three of us lived with my parents, and my oldest brother—I guess he's a, a half brother—lived um, with my grandparents.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so your mom had a reasonably good support group after your dad passed away, then.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she was always she, she did and she would have that, you know, it was just me, you know, I think she would have been fine if I had left. Um, uh, but uh, to me, it was like, no, I don't think I'm ready. And, you know, that kind of cocoon like thing when you are young, mm-hmm. you know, is, is hard to break. Um, and also, I just already made these inroads at the school and yeah. it's like, OK, they they like me. I can work here. You know, let's do it Mm -hmm. and I can save money because I don't have to, you know, live in a dorm.
0: Right. And then you did eventually make your way to uh, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, right? For your your, uh, MFA.
1: I did. Yes, that was an interesting um, decision. Um, There's so many things as I start thinking about all of these decisions Um, because when I graduated from South Carolina, I, like I said, it was all cocoon like. And so I immediately said, well, I'll just go to grad school here. Um, And I entered grad school here. And then within a month or so, friends were like saying, don't do this, go, 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 Get
0: out, yeah.
1: (laughs) And I said, okay, I'll get out. And then I entered the ERDAS, which was, um, what is it, the University Resident Theater Association, um, where they, you know, look at prospects for graduate schools and for summer theater um, opportunities. And, you know, there's uh, you know, there's a, there is a step to it. So there was the state auditions, and then the national auditions, And so I went to the state URDAs and I, I placed number one um, in my audition pieces. So that gave me an immediately, immediate, like, you know, a blessing to go to New York to participate. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I auditioned for schools, and uh, I went into the room, uh, and in the room was the uh, artistic director of Playmakers Rep and the head of the acting program at Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he asked me he was like, "So, uh, when is your when is your audition for Juilliard?" And I was like, "Well, I wasn't thinking about Juilliard." He was like, mm-hmm. "You're not thinking about Juilliard?" Well. I think you should, I'm glad you're here. You should be thinking about Juilliard because you know I know Juilliard, you should be, but I'm glad you're here and we want you and and here's what we can do for you. And I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, I've never thought about Chapel Hill. And then the big thing with that one was that because there was a theater program and a regional theater connected to it, the big sell was the fact that when I graduated, I would have my union card. Mm-hmm. And so I went and my final year, I was a union actor working on the stage.
0: Wow. Right. Bang. Right out of the gate.
1: Yeah. You know, say, cause they, they, they did the old fashioned thing that they, I guess they don't do anymore where they cut, you know, you go, they get a big group for the first year and then they mm-hmm. make cuts. of who, who stays and who goes um, very draconian way of like, yeah. you know, dealing with, People and their desires to be whatever they want to be. Yeah,
0: Juilliard does that. They do it after two years, and that happened- Yeah,
1: I don't think they do years. it as much anymore. Um, I have some. I have some students that are going to Juilliard right now, and you know, once she's in the fourth year. But I don't think they did that. I, I think they like. I I know they've phased it out over at ACT. Um, okay. And Juilliard may do it after two years. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But um, but I don't think they do it anymore.
0: Okay, that's mistaken. good. I'm glad to hear that. It's yeah, I think group. I think
1: they just really take their time and say, this is the group we want.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're going to work with that group, you know, right. which is, I think, what you should do anyway. Absolutely. So, but yeah, so I finished there. And before I finished um, Chapel Hill, I was getting ready to graduate and go to New York with my buddies and throw my hat into the ring and then I got a call from South Carolina for their summer rep program and they offered me a job to act and I was like oh sure and go home and act that's great and then they called back 15 minutes later and said um we actually have a position open would you be interested in you know throwing your hat into the ring for this acting position I was like what I didn't think about that
0: stars are aligning for you. You know you're on the right path.
1: Yeah and so when I graduated I had a job, you know. (laughs) How many
0: actors can say that? Yeah
1: (laughs) I graduated and I had an acting job and after the acting job I had a job teaching at a university. Oh so this
0: was the beginning of your teaching then? This is when the teaching started?
1: Well I had been teaching off and on in different places but this is the first time it was going to be like this is your job you're going to be here you're going to be meeting with students you're going to be preparing lesson plans etc 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 you know and um so yeah and uh i went there and after my first semester the acting teaching position turned into a tenure track position because they were like oh well you know, we want to bring this into a tenure track position. So yeah. you can be here and do this and do this. And because we like you and the kids love you. And, you know, I was also acting on the stage. So it was a big, t- big deal. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. But, you know, that's not my career. You right. Know? You're so,
0: to get back to the boards.
1: Yeah. I, back on the all, you know, I spent all this time and effort and money to be in be an actor, and, and, and I think this is the time I need to do it. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'll be here for two years. And I'm only saying this yes, because then I know if it's a 10 year track position, it won't go away. Right. You know, and so I stayed for two years and then I left. Mm-hmm. But just like stars aligning, um, at that time, University of South Carolina had formed a relationship with the Shakespeare Theater at the Folger which was headed by Michael Kahn at that time. And so my goal was like, oh, when did this happen? Oh, okay. Well, can you schedule me for an audition with Michael? And I did it in the first semester. And of course he was like, the first thing he said is, how come I haven't heard from you, heard about you? Why did you you not go to Juilliard? I was like, this Juilliard thing is driving me crazy. Well, Michael happened to be the artistic director of Juilliard at the time. You know, it was like, you know, it's too bad. It was like, but I see you now. Yeah. And I was like, well, great. And he said, well, what's what, what's the deal? I said, well, I'm not gonna be here for two years and then I'm going to New York. He says, Well, let me know when you're going and then I'll bring you up to i I'll bring you up to D C. And before I could let him know, he called me and I was on a train to DC auditioned, and then I got a season at the Shakespeare Theater in DC, which turned into three seasons. Wow. So yeah, so it's every, you know, stars aligning, Mm
0: -hmm. that Mm
1: whole theme, I guess.
0: Well, what's interesting is that you didn't seem to have, um, you know, cause like a lot of kids are not really sure about what they're interested in. They don't know what they're passionate about, and they're kind of casting about here and there, but you, seem to be very, very directed, like from the age of 13, 14, when you're in middle school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and it just goes to show how, when you make that commitment, how things, how things show up for you, you know? Like when you know the what, the hows happen, they just yeah. kind of materialize, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was never, I, I never wavered um, about what I wanted. And I never, I don't think I've ever thought that I was going to fail at what I wanted. I never thought that that was an option. Like, you know, a lot of people like a lot of, a lot of actors, I think don't do well. I think a lot of that part of that is luck, but I also think another stuff is, you know, what are you putting in your way of doing well?
0: Right. And maybe a plan B is is sort of a recipe for failure because you know how a lot of people say, oh, you need something to fall back on.
1: Yeah. I'm like, fall then- back on. I don't want to fall back. I want to fall right. forward. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, maybe I'm stupid by not trying to like, you know, well, maybe I should learn how to, you know, become a you know, I don't know what, a a doctor or a lawyer or, or a therapist or anything like that. And nothing, nothing, nothing disparaging about those careers, but that's not what I wanted.
0: Right. Plus (laughs) those careers leave no room for doing the thing that you love to do. Yeah. And then you You would just be a doctor or a lawyer or a therapist or whatever. And you would not, you wouldn't be using your gifts.
1: Yeah. You know, and, you know, I can, I can deal with you know moments of not working and working some job that pays my bills yeah you know i can do that yeah and i did that many times in new york you know i mean and the thing is when you when you make that commitment about what you want mm-hmm. you know it 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 makes it at least for me I never considered it to be a failure if I were doing something else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember one time I was in New York and you know there was one of those moments where you know there were no auditions or I wasn't booking or all that stuff and, you know, try, and I'd lived by myself in New York. Mm-hmm. And so I had to really hustle to make sure that I could pay my rent. Mm-hmm. And so I would take any job that came my way um, and one job that came my way was a summer part-time job, you know, in addition to doing the catering stuff, mm-hmm. was a summer part-time job of being a dancing, singing, discovery card in the streets of Manhattan. <laughs> it was, it was, I was like, I, wow, this is, this is like almost cliche.
0: At least I I will be able to write about this one day.
1: (laughs) You know, when I got in, they're like, this is what we're doing and this is what it is. You got to pass this out. You got to make sure that you're this. And it wasn't that you had to be dancing and singing, but I decided to do that.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: You know, because I was like, well, they gave me these big, big Mickey Mouse gloves. (laughs) You know, and I'm wearing a I'm wearing a Discover card um, sandwich board, you know, and I have a hat. I'm like, well, this looks like Michigan G- Michigan G Frog to me. So let me just do that. And so when I got on the street, I would just I would just be Michigan G Frog. Hello, my honey. Hello, my baby. Hello, my ragtime gal. Hey, honey, I love you. Hi. Hey, here's a discovery for you. Hi, hey, hi. Hey. And of course, you know, people are like, Oh my God, you're the best. You've just made my morning. Oh my God, I got so many kisses
0: if you're going to be a discovery card you're going to be the best damn discovery card ever on the planet
1: that's what i said to yeah, myself that's, and that's why i said to everybody it's like if i'm going to be standing out here with this you're going to remember me
0: yeah and you brought a lot of joy you brought it was a lot fun. of fun it
1: was fun and yeah. it, it, you know in and in, in any other mindset of that's a failure right you would treat it as if it is a failure right and then it would just be you passing the time, looking bitter with all the other bitter people in New York going back and forth doing yeah. something they don't want to do, but they you need to do it.
0: You don't want to be the discovery card who's like, oh. yeah, <laughs> you know.
1: And just pass that, out the placards, you know, pass out the pamphlets and go, hey, get yeah, a discovery card and, yeah. you know, and watch people pass you by and just get, get even more upset that they're not, they're passing you by. That's right. I was like, don't let them pass you by. <laughs> Get out there. Do yeah. something. Let well, them and stop and see you.
0: It's a challenge as an actor. I mean, it's like you yeah. are an actor. So making yeah, them- I work. kept
1: getting like, you know, like Discover card of the week. You know, Bernard Addison. And I would like be happy. i was say, oh, really? That's great. Thank you, guys. And they're like, you're so happy. I'm like, oh, well, you know, it, you know, I have other reasons to not be happy. This is sure. not one of them.
0: Well, yeah, and I, th- I really do believe that what you put out there with the the quality of the energy that you put out into the world reflects back to you.
1: Yeah, originally. you know, and I mean, it was one of those things and I had to learn that lesson, you know, cause I was, you know, at one point I was like, well, you know, I need to get a job. And so let me go and do this restaurant thing, waiting tables, I don't know how good I'm gonna be at it, whatever. And I went to this restaurant that was opening, and they looked at my resume, and they were like, "They saw that I went to school and everything." And the guy sat me down and go, "You know, um, you know, this this is you can do this job. You really can do this job, and we would be great and thankful for you to do this job. But you shouldn't do this job." Mm. I was like, "What do you mean? I need money." He said, "Well, you know, I see where you have done." work at this theater and work at this theater, you're gonna get a job and then you're gonna leave us. Uh huh. And I was like, well, you're probably right. He said, well, then you don't need this job.
0: Wow, uh, that's <laughs> wisdom from a, a potential employer who's telling I you know, because that. he,
1: says, he says, I get a ton of people that say they're actors and I hire them because I don't believe they're actors. Right. But you're an actor hmm so Does good luck.
0: renew your renew your, your well, it was sort of like I was like
1: well he's probably right but I really need a job I really need money yeah but I, I managed to endure and managed to make it through and I got a job like like he said about a month later
0: mm-hmm. so
1: yes those things happen
0: so how long were you in New York for then
1: um I lived in New York for seven years Um, I finished um, Shakespeare um, Theater and then moved to New York and started booking theater right away, regional theater. And so I was there for seven years, I guess the first five years, I think I may have been in New York for a total of six months. Mm-hmm. Because it was just, you book a job, you go to a regional right. theater, you're there for a couple of months, three months, you come back in, you know, you book another job and then you're gone. I think there was one year I was only in New York for a month.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, yeah, And you're going
0: around doing the regional theater. Yeah, thing? You know, like Denver. Working and, in New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm a New York
1: actor. And yeah. so, you know, that New York actor moniker really helps
0: mm-hmm.
1: with those kind of jobs. Um, And then at some point I was like, you know what? I moved to New York to be an actor and I want to be an actor in New York. So I need to start saying no. And I did, and I started working in New York. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, it wasn't as well-paying, but then that's when the teaching came in because I started working um, to offset, you know, me being there was, I got involved with all these other arts organizations to go into schools to teach. Mm-hmm. You know, so I worked for many years with Theater for a New Audience in their education program. And then I got the cream of the crop, which was Lincoln Center Institute. Wow. Yeah, that one was a great one because they invite you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I got a call. so go, oh, we're somewhere from Lincoln Center Institute. And we want to invite you to our workshop on this, this about teaching artists work. I was like, okay, Lincoln Center Institute. And they did a cut. It's one of those weird things. They invited all these teaching artists there and you had three days with them. And then at the end of the third day, they would let the people know who they wanted to stay. And then you finished the rest of the week and then you were on their roster.
0: Wow. And are you teaching kids through this Lincoln Center program?
1: Yep. Yeah, it's a great program. It's a great training program for Artists that are want to teach, Um, but you also have to understand the aesthetic of it. And the one thing that was great about working with those artists was that I worked with all of them. You know, I worked with the visual artists. I worked with the the musicians. I worked with um, uh, The dancers, you know, so the four major art um, um, Programs or art, art forms were working together. And so as we were working together, we were creating the template for teaching art. And that was wonderful because it was like, oh, okay, I get to sit and watch you take kids through to MoMA and teach them and see what what is the structure there that I can also use to teach acting. And so the dancers can look at that and go, oh, well, we can do, we can enter it this way. Through music or this way through visual art or this way through improv or this way through this. So we all were sharing, you know, um, ways of, you know, using the art as a textbook, Mm -hmm. you know, and actually going, it's about the work of art and the work of art doesn't live by itself. It lives within the whole sphere of art. And so if you can look at a Jasper Johns piece, and then you can actually look at it in terms of um, musical scales, or look at it in terms of dance, you know, dance movement, line, or you look at it in terms of story, then you got an in to getting kids interested in what they're seeing and being able to express what they're seeing. And if there's an activity that goes along with them being able to create they have lots of forms to do it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was beautiful. I thought it was a beautiful, I was very lucky and very fortunate to be with them for the three years I was with them. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. So yeah, but that was only because I said no to going out to regional theater.
0: <laughs> and then, so was this the last thing that you had in New York? Did, when did the LA move happen? Was that right? Um, the
1: LA move happened, happened um it happened uh in 2000 um i was uh i needed a break from new york because sometimes you need a break from the new york because new york is
0: just (laughs) you know and at
1: that that point i was like i need a break i i I need to slow things down and so um i called up the artistic director at oregon shakespeare festival Mm -hmm. and she had wanted me to join her when she got the job, and I said I want to, I need to give New York a try. And she said, Well, when you're ready to call, when you're ready to come here, give me a call. And I did. And yes. she said, well, I wish you called earlier because there's no great roles for you. I can give you a couple of roles. And I was like, I just need to get out. Yeah. And so I went to Ashland and Ooh. worked there for ten months. Mm. Um. And um, at Ashland, they have this program called the Shares program where they actors pool their money because the contracts are so long there that you know you're out of the market right quote unquote and so the goal is to get you know casting directors and artistic directors and agents to come to Ashland and see you and so as we were doing that I just made a conscious decision that well, I don't really need to see the theater people because I kind of know them all. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody from LA. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to focus on the LA people. And they all came and they're all like "Same, the same story. Where have you been? <laughs> I don't know what people ask it. where have you been? Oh my God, where have you been? And like, well, what are you thinking? You and they're like, I think you should come to LA. You should come to LA. I was like, okay, well, I never really gave LA much of a thought because I'm a theater guy. I'm not really right. a, you know, I, I didn't, I, I, I didn't see myself, you know, doing TV and film because there was no representation, right? Um, and you know, I was doing quite well as an as a theater actor,
0: mm-hmm. but and then I said, I'm Ashland because it's beautiful up there. It was
1: gorgeous. It was gorgeous. I knew it wouldn't be there forever because it's yeah. just, it's a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took their notes and took their numbers and I think I had a break, drove down to LA and called them all up thinking, well, I'll call them up. They're going to say, who is this? And that's going to be my LA story. I called each and every one of them up and they all were just as excited as they were when they saw me in ashland you're here oh my god come here i like the like the head of the the vp of casting of cbs come in come in i need you to meet people here here this is the person this is the person you need to meet and then of course um another casting director she worked on fraser and she was like you know now come to the set come to the set come to the set this is good because you'll get to see what what sets like when you work here i was like when yeah you'll, you'll, you'll work here i was like okay you know I never thought about me working on Fraser. fine. Um, and then, you know, I I finished there and I booked a job in LA, that was a reading with Center Theater Group. Mm-hmm. And I was in New York and I was like, well, let me go here for a few weeks and do this job. And I think I'm gonna make the move to LA in the spring. And so I went. That was my whole intent. It's like, okay, because then I'm gonna go back and I wanna like close things out with friends and acquaintances and make a you know a formal like I'm leaving New York kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I got here and I got had my first day on um rehearsal and I got a call. i had already booked a manager by that time. Mm-hmm. Um, that I had a call for an audition at the Amundsen for Romeo and Juliet, directed by Sir Peter Hall. Wow. And I was like, oh
0: okay
1: let me go and i went and auditioned and the guy in my car was on my way back and they were like um call me back so you just got it you booked it and but the big thing is that you had to be local they're not going to pay you as a new york actor
0: right right and and sir peter hall was the head of the he had been the head of the royal shakespeare company is that right yeah
1: so it was like he was the
0: dude
1: i'm (laughs) gonna get to work with sir peter hall great And I was like, "Oh, well, I'll make it! I'll make it happen!" And then I talked to my friend while I was crashing. I was like, "I need to stay a little longer, <laughs> you know." And this time, I got a job so I can pay. But I just wanted to let us know how we're going to feel, how we going to feel this out. And, and then I had to get a car, um, because that was going to be a big deal because I was staying in Santa Monica. Yeah. So I got a car, and then I, you know, eventually start saving money to get a place. And next thing I knew, I was here.
0: And Did you get that Fraser gig? Did you do some work? Here's the Fraser
1: story. Yes, I did get the Fraser gig. As I was doing, um, I can probably let this out of the bag now because it's been I've, almost 20 years since this happened.
0: The statute of limitations is over. It
1: is up and it's too late now. If they're gonna punish me, it's too late to punish me. Um, I was doing, uh, you know I had several small roles in in Romeo and Juliet and uh, I understudied the late great James Avery mm-hmm.
0: who was playing
1: Montague mm-hmm. um, and uh, at some point during the run of the show of course I got a call from my casting director friend over at Frasier and they called me in for this role And they did a pre-read, which was in the morning. And this was a two-show day. Um, So I did it in the morning and went away. And then they said, well, can you come back? I was like, well, I have a show. I have a matinee show. So when is it over? I'm like, "Uh, well, it's a Romeo and and Juliet. So it's a three-hour show. So starting at two, be done at five. I don't know how long it'll take for me to get back to Paramount. Mm -hmm. So, well, let us know when you're done. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then come back. I was like, okay. Um, and so I finished and then I came back, you know. I found out later that they were waiting for me. Um, I found out from another actor that is now a friend who like hated my guts because they had to sit there and wait for yeah. me to arrive. <laughs> um, and I didn't know this. I was like, wow, I'm in my car driving a parallel lot, here we go. You know, this is pre 9 11 So you can drive onto the lot and everything. And I get in there and I audition. And this is, seems to be another theme about being, people being cut. They used to do this um, in this office where they would, had to cast, and then they would have the call back and they would have everybody stay. And then they would come out and then they would say goodbye to everybody except for the people they were going to cast. Mm. It was really brutal. I was like, "Oh my God!" And so, I came in, was like, "Hey guys, how you doing?" And nobody said anything to me because they were all pissed because I messed up their day schedule. So this is the guy they're waiting for. And I went in the audition, and audition. I sat there and waited. And then they came out and said, "Okay, everybody go out uh, except for Bernard, Bernard." and I was like, "I was like, oh, what's that? that means you got it." I was like, "Oh, great, wonderful." So well, you're gonna start work tomorrow, and then we shoot on Tuesday night that meant that tuesday night was a show night mm. and i was like okay great i just said yes mm-hmm. and then i called up some friends and i said i need some advice because i just booked frazier ah! yeah but they shoot on tuesday night and i got a show and then it's said, like oh don't oh. tell them that. it's like what you just you sign a contract with them they they don't they will not get they will not let you out And I was like, really? I'm in a bind. He's like, and I was like, well, well, what can I do? I can't say no to Frazier, you know? And one of my friends said, do you have a sick clause? You have an understudy? He says, yes. You're going to have to call in sick. That's the only way you're going to be able to do this, is to call in sick. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I was like, you mean I have to lie? Mm -hmm. It's like yes because otherwise you will lose that job <laughs>
0: right.
1: and then there goes your la career right and so i um i went to the i went to all the rehearsals you know because it was great i had a great time they were all wonderful it was a great you know Fun moment to watch all those actors work. You know, Gene Smart was on the on that episode. Mm-hmm. It was great to see her and meet her. You know, and then of course I just fell in love with Jane Leaves and yeah, and, and Perry Gilpin and all of them really.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and um, then it came the day to shoot, which is on a Tuesday, and I was like, I was freaking out. It's like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Um and then i i as a child i suffered and as a young adult i suffer from cluster migraines
0: mm.
1: and i was like that's it finally this thing that used to drive me crazy and destroy my life is going to save my life right. Right. <laughs> so cuz i know what that is it's like i got to get all method yeah. And so finished everything. I went back into my trailer. I turned off all the lights. I put myself into a fetal position on the floor and called the stage manager and told the stage manager that I'm suffering from cluster migraines and I'm at the hospital right now trying to get my medication and I'm in the ER and, I'm, and I don't know if I can make it tonight, but uh, you know, I should get everything and be ready tomorrow. So I'm so sorry, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. Hung up the phone, I was like, oh my God, I just lied. And then the phone came back and I didn't pick it up. I said, like, I, I just want to hear what she says. And then I listened to it and the stage manager was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry for you. My brother has the same thing. Whatever you do, do not try to come to the theater tonight. Don't do it. And if you can't come tomorrow, let me know. It's fine. I understand what you're going through, get what you need and then let me know how things are. Wow. And I was like, and then, you know, cause the, most of the time I wasn't really having a great time cause I had this like knot in my throat about the whole thing. Once that happened, I had the best night. It was a live audience. We were, it was a great, great time. Went out and everything. Um, to backtrack all on that is that just to make sure I, the only person I told was my, the person who was understudying me. Cause I just said, I just want to let you know that I got this, and I'm gonna be sick, and are you ready? He's like, no, I'm ready, buddy, go, go do it, go do it, go do it. I'm ready, I'm ready to go. I'm like, fantastic. So I just wanna make sure that he knew everything. Yeah. And then I came in the next day, and of course I had to play this out even more, so I came in with sunglasses. Right. Came in walking slow, you know. <laughs> she asked me what I needed to do. I was like, If there's a place I can be in, in, well, in can quiet, do. you know, <laughs> with no light, so they put all my stuff into a dark room. So I had my own dressing room, kind of thing. So I was away from everybody. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, someone comes up to me and says, "Ooh, did you hear about last night?" I was like, "Don't tell me! Don't tell me that my st- that my understudy screwed up last night." Oh my God, what happened, what happened, what happened? What had happened was, as, want, as usually is wont to do in these shows, the actor playing Romeo and the actor playing Juliet got involved in the a relationship. They went away to Big Bear over the weekend, and then they called in and said they were in traffic and they couldn't make it to the show. So they had to call everybody in and they called in the two understudies for Romeo and Juliet and had them like go through the part and everything. In the audience that night were the parents of the understudies of Romeo and Juliet. And so the theater surmised that this was planned. And the theater was irate and they were looking around and trying to get as much information as possible about who knew about this is this true this is true like we find this out and they're never gonna work here blah 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 and you know the and everybody's talking about that meanwhile they're coming to me and say are you okay do you need anything i'm so glad you're here i'm like oh i'm fine i'm just gonna be in the room <laughs> be in a room and, and so their minds were okay. on something else completely which was larger than my little like two characters yeah. you know the Romeo and Juliet did a number mm. and it gets better as I'm getting ready to leave James Avery looks at me he's been looking at me all night long and I'm like he knows. He knows. He's a, prof- he's a pro. He knows that, I, that this is all a ruse. I'm going to be found out. I'm going to be found out. And he just sort of looked at me and said, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm better. Like, he just looks at me and says, um, you're understudying me, right? Yeah. Are you ready? I'm like, um, yeah, what does that mean? He had booked a Coke commercial and it was gonna be shot on a Friday or something. He just told me, just wanna make sure you're ready because I got this job shooting this Coke commercial. I was like, okay, sure. All right, I get to play Montague, fantastic. He told the producers that he got this job. They said, you can't do it on that Friday, he called in sick.
0: (laughs) The great James Avery.
1: (laughs) He called in sick and everybody's like, oh, James is sick. (laughs) So we had an, so we had a rehearsal. So I had the rehearsal and the performance and in in the theater that night was Gordon Davidson, and I think it was um, uh, Madeline Puzo. I think she was in charge of the almonds and Gordon Davison, of course, was the, you know, the big honcho. Mm-hmm. They were in the audience to see my performance. And then they saw my performance. And then the stage manager pulled me aside and said, well, we just got it word from uh, Madeline and from Gordon that they're firing James Avery and you are now Montague
0: wow wow
1: And i was like (laughs) a lot of of lessons learned on that on that week (laughs) a lot of lessons learned on that week you know it was it was it was an interesting like introduction to la and how things go in la Mm -hmm. you know and I haven't told that story in public in a while because I was afraid about the repercussions of it all, you know. And and because now it's like it doesn't it doesn't really matter now, right, um, right? But it's still funny. Like okay, you know, here we are as actors, and we're in LA, and there's this issue of you know wanting to do theater, but then there's film, and then of course film and television and commercials are so financially important to actors and you know for certain theaters to say well you can't do that yeah you know is unfair to the actor especially when they have it set up for you to do that
0: right you know they have
1: understudies they have all the systems in -hmm. place you know I guess they just don't want to have it all run rampant Mm -hmm. but You know at some point you have to do a case-by-case moment and i also know it's you know it's a double standard because they get a star in their shows the star dictates when they can be there and when they can't right and so uh, i I used to get so worried about it but now i'm like you know what no no i deserve to do fraser i deserve to do the play
0: absolutely and i think it's a little bit different in britain or was because you know how actor actors are just actors. They do stage, they do film, they do TV. Judy Dench, for God's sake, has done all three. You know, like people are not exclusively because it used to be and maybe it's changing a bit in the US, but it, it seems that there are theater actors over here and there are television and film actors over there. But it's starting the lines are becoming more blurred now. Yeah. As they were in the UK from the get go.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I was many times I heard oh you're a theater actor you're a theater actor I'm like what's that mean I mean what's that mean it just means that the job that I had it was this right you know I got it for many years and that's great but you know I can you know you turn on a camera I know what to do right. yeah. so <laughs> you know? it's
0: like, I think if somebody like Laura Linney who who was in the in her, the beginning, you know, a New York stage actress, and of course now she's on Ozark. <laughs> she does yeah. everything and movies,
1: and, and that was hard yeah. for like um, American actors for so long. Mm-hmm. You know that you know you had to be a film actor, and that's what you were, and then they would allow the Brit actors to come in to do all, but they wouldn't let the American actors be able to go back and forth. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was a interesting um thing that things are beginning to change with that well it's beginning to change because now actors are no longer just film actors or television actors so that used to be a big divide too
0: yeah because there was the there was the sag and the after thing now sag after are the same thing Mm -hmm. and then then there's the actors equity thing and so i imagine that some of that had to do with the structure of the unions probably
1: probably probably and it's also has something to do with the higher the hierarchies sure you know we deem you to be a movie star we deem you to be a tv actor we deem you to be a commercial actor we deem you to be a a stage actor and that's where you're going to live
0: right because if brad pitt decides that he wants to do a stage play you know people Mm be like he's a film actor yeah in that category you know
1: yeah. You know, so, yeah.
0: So then you found the other thing about L.A. that and, and I learned this from after I moved here is that there's a lot of theater in, in well, L.A. Well, that's the. That's contrary a, to what people perceive.
1: That's the that's the happy accident out of all of this is that, you know, I got involved in the theater scene here. And first, early on, I I, I resented it because they weren't paying. And I was coming from a place where, you know, you know, you need to pay me, you know, and this what's this 99 seat waiver thing. What is this? Yeah. And so I did a couple of them and I got disillusioned. I said, well, you know what, if I don't if I don't make it on the stage, you know, because I was doing all these original plays and they weren't very good, you know, and, you know, and I did, you know, some other stuff that I just I felt like the quality wasn't so great. But then I realized, well, it's not about that. It's about finding your tribe, and being with your tribe, mm-hmm. and finding that, you know, that niche. And you know, really, it really didn't come into play for me until um, I had auditioned for um, Joe Turner's Come and Gone over at the Fountain, mm-hmm. and then I met the people at the Fountain, and then I was like, oh, good theater's happening here. Oh, okay all right, I can do this, you know, and then Anteus, I was like, oh, good theater's happening here. Huh? So it's like, you have to find those pockets where you can do this. And then of course, from there, looking at the other theaters that are doing innovative, you know, um, different work, you know, like I think, I think if you're going to be a writer, this is the perfect place to be because the experimentation is so high here in LA. And so I think it's I think you know I think because of that um, I've I've run into lots of new plays and new artists and you know new organizations that are you know that that are exciting you know yes you know and that whole 99C thing is being you know contested and whether or not what is it going to look like.
0: This is the equity waiver situation whereby yes. you're exempt from having to be equity because it's less than 99 seats. Is that the your, deal? Um,
1: your equity will exempt uh, a contract.
0: I see. Okay.
1: Because it's less than 99 seats, you know, which is that contract is basically you get paid per show, like 25 bucks a show. Mm-hmm. You don't get paid for rehearsal. You don't get money put in for your pension, you know. So it's not really a contract, but it's a it's a it's a showcase code because it's about showcasing yourself with the hope of getting you know new, uh, film and television people to see you. Mm-hmm. And what I learned immediately after that is that film and television people are not going to see you because they have to get up at five in the morning. <laughs> I was like, this yeah. doesn't make any sense. You know, they have to get up at five in the morning. They're not coming to the theater,
0: right? It's like, you know, it's eight o'clock. I'm going to bed.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, this doesn't this doesn't serve anybody. So the best thing to do is find a a place that you can do good work, and then eventually they will come and see you. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and so yeah. So you know, the the I, I am proud of the theater community here in L. A. You know, because there's some real um, real good talent, mm-hmm. real um, committed talent, and they—they are not as—I don't know what the right word is. They're—they're—they're um, they're, they're not set in a stone-like idea of mm-hmm. what theater should be.
0: So they're more open to experimenting, yeah. more
1: you know, or they don't have you know like you know, Chicago has its style, Mm New York has its style or whatever. LA doesn't really have a style because it changes. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like that change. I kind of like the freedom of that change instead of like going being recognized. Like I said, I was recognized as a New York actor, you know, and you know I, i'm I'm, you know that was fun when it when i was a new york actor and i walk into a room and i was a new, york actor.
0: Yeah. A new york actor
1: yeah you know same thing with chicago you right. know but you know here it's just like okay well you know i work at this company here we do, we're doing this we got a new play coming up like antius we just did like radio plays before mm-hmm. because of the pandemic and that was fun we just sort of looked at something different mm-hmm. You know, and so yeah, it's uh, I, I I appreciate that openness.
0: Tell me about the August Wilson residency project. Are you still doing that?
1: Um, the one with Center Theater Group.
0: Uh, I think um, with the schools. It's in, yeah. In well,
1: I you know because I teach on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I did that, I did teaching artist work, mm-hmm. um, and I did a lot of teaching artist work with Center Theater Group, and um, you know. One of, the, one of the programs that was created was an August Wilson residency because I think that year was the year they were going to um, be a participant in the August Wilson monologue competition. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to sort of like, you know, have some kind of teaching element to go along with it. And we developed a, a very extensive um, curriculum, you know to teach his work and bring it to the schools and be a teaching artist in the classroom working with a teacher for an entire semester on august wilson wow and that was a lot of fun it was tough sometimes because sometimes it was like okay the kids you know at some point you know they 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 don't really you know, kids just go by how they feel that day. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and how you know, old are they? How old are the kids that, that you? Uh, well, this
1: is for an English program. So they're usually like soft, I mean, juniors or seniors.
0: Okay, um, so they're like 17, 18.
1: Yeah, and so, um, yeah, and so that was fun, but it was connected with the monologue competition. So at the end of this, they would be invited to go to, you know, um, uh, the Mark Taper Forum, to watch the high school kids do the monologs, you know, and at that time I was just sort of just being a uh, an adjudicator and you know observer of their work, and you know I saw the work and the kids were excited about it. I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, and then as I started teaching um, at uh, Los Angeles High School of the Arts, it was like, well, we got to get kids in this, mm-hmm. you know. So this is a good program, and I think it's a good program to sort of like actually start. Looking at his work in a, you know, whole in a in a in a whole different way in terms of uh, voice, mm-hmm. um, you know, that artistic voice and how can that artistic voice come out through the artistic voice of August Wilson, and you know, and it's been exciting um, because you know I look at these monologues and I give them. And I know these monologues from their plays, and I know their context. And I also know that, you know, these monologues need to be played by African Americans of a certain age, you know, so they're not going to be what they are in the plays. But what can they be in the hands and the thoughts of a seventeen year old? Mm-hmm. And and a seventeen year old that for the most part, it you know has no experience in the African American experience, mm-hmm. you know, and so what what will they look like now? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're beautiful, you know, because then they what happens is that the kids look at them, and we look at them in terms of, of you know, what is the what is the overarching you know theme or desire that's happening there and what does this sound like for you and your culture what does this sound like for you and where you are in your life and you know let's let's suspend the the, the disbelief even more
0: right
1: and just have you tell your story through august wilson's words
0: It's the truth of the human experience via August Wilson.
1: Yeah. And it's beautiful when they get it. I had one student, she, when she first arrived here uh, um, at Lhasa, Los Angeles High School of the Arts, she spoke no English. She was Korean Mm -hmm. and spoke no English. And then she entered this program And then she did um, a Bynum monologue about actually seeing how somebody really is. Mm. And it was so tender and so beautiful and so heartfelt. I think it actually changed the, it actually changed, the p- the point of view of the people that were doing the model competition because she made the semis but she didn't make the finals and I got a call or or somebody I th- I think it was probably Leslie at the time came up to me and she's like we fought for her we fought for her we fought for her but we couldn't get the people that were doing it to think differently mm. you know and I was like really really you know
0: yeah
1: that doesn't make any sense because if we're going to open these up for people for kids we gotta make them think differently and so they gotta get this whole idea of this aged ex-slave out of their head and let this woman move you yeah um and that's what we thought and we're gonna have to make some changes on this because we can't have this again Mm -hmm. you know and i remember because she was in a show of mine and I told her this, this girl, I said, like, oh, can you come over here? You know, um, I got a call from people at Center Theater Group and they said that you were beautiful and wonderful and that you should have been in the finals. And she burst into tears. Uh, she said, I just didn't think they liked me. Oh. Uh, you know. Wow. Yeah.
0: That almost makes me cry. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and I said nope. Um, and so now, guess where she is? She's at Harvard, getting her MA or MF MA in arts education.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, so there are things that can happen that you don't know what's going, what's, how it's going to like turn out as you're doing it, you know, but then as life goes on, you know, she graduates, goes to Berkeley and next thing you know, she's working at San Francisco Opera and she's like, you know, doing teaching artist work there. I'm like, okay. She's like, yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, cause the arts did something for me and I want to make sure it does something for, you know, younger kids. And so there you have it.
0: Wow. And it's a way of paying it forward and keeping it moving. And and because when you're able to make those connections and and make those human links across the cultural divides, it brings people together. And this is why the arts are so vital. They're not a luxury. They're they're vital to, to, to human
1: existence. It's the one thing that's going to say this. Um, who knows what our world is going to look like after all of this? Once it's safe to go outside and it's safe to turn on your television and it's safe to, you know, not be assaulted by all the things that can really get at you. Um, and kill your spirit, if not you. Mm-hmm. Um, when we come out of this, the arts have got to be front and center. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I can see us coming out of this and making sense of all of this.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, it's a it's a it's a um, a nexus of connection. And when we're living, we were talking before we were recording about the. Divisiveness of our culture right now, and, and this massive polarization between people, and we look at um, the, the 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 violence and the anger and uh, the feelings of some people feeling so disenfranchised and and ignored and misunderstood. And if we don't, I mean as you said i th- i think that's absolutely true that that the arts are what will save us because it brings us back to our common humanity as we're able to speak to each other connect with each other and communicate with each other these things are vital
1: yeah it's 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 a safe way of dealing with hard problems you know i mean catharsis mm-hmm. of course but also i think you know we've learned, we've lost the art of communication. We've lost the art of, you know, even with, you know, even before all of this, you know, the one, the back and forth one-on-one conversations are few and far between. I don't know about you, but my phone never rings, mm. yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. And so I don't hear a voice most days, you know, I do get a text, yep, right, an email,
0: right. you
1: know, and I, but I don't hear a voice. And I think it's important that before we, that we've gone far enough on that pendulum and we need to get back. And I think the arts can navigate us back.
0: There's also something, um, and you know, we mentioned catharsis and think of the ancient Greeks and how uh, theater had such a massive role in their society because it was a way of the community to have an experience together whether it was laughing together or oh having this great expression of grief and mm-hmm. community is what we are missing right now because mm-hmm. we are so divided from each other
1: yeah i'm um, one of my i'm fi- um, one of my current jobs when we get back I hope they keep it you know it was that center theater group was being an audience facilitator which was a, a new a new um, evolution of theater going, which is not only you, you watch the play, if you, if you wanna stick around and look at in the face and the eyes of the people that were in the room with you, I can facilitate a conversation about what we witnessed and you know navigate our, com- our, commun- our communion on this. And I just, I loved it. I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. You know, even when there was massive disagreements, you know, you know. In course, the past four years, there have been some massive disagreements. You know, um, that at least that person was heard. At least that that person that you know feels like they are alone in a sea because they actually follow, you know, the current president. Right. You know, gets to be heard in a way that's not necessarily being lashed at online or lashing out online yeah and so I think that was kind of I I love I loved it I I love being able to like you know get that conversation going and navigating through all of that and come to some you know understanding that you know they're human beings behind these words they're thoughts behind these words there, you know, there are shared experiences behind what we see. And then there's understanding, Mm -hmm. you know, that can be there. And, um, you know, that's the saddest thing that I miss about having to shut down the theaters, because I love that job. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so hopefully when the theaters are back up, if people are not too scared, you know, that they can stay for a little bit and bring that back, that'd be nice. You know, but it'll be a a Herculean effort to get theaters back up and get people in the space. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and it needs to happen because it is vital for civilization to continue as we know it.
1: Mm -hmm. And I tell people like, you gotta think about your history, you know, theaters have been shut down before, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: for whatever reason, you know, religious reasons,
0: You know,
1: reasons all kinds of reasons (laughs)
0: all kinds of reasons right
1: yeah they come (laughs) back up you know i mean that whole reign of oliver cromwell how long was the theaters down A 100 years
0: a long time
1: very long time
0: eventually they came back eventually and theater has been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it will be back
1: yeah i just hope it's back for me to do a couple of shows
0: yeah well, wow, I think this is a wonderful place to uh to 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 end this. And I wanna thank you so much. Oh sure. Time and, and it was just a really it was a beautiful conversation and I think it's gonna give people a lot to think about.
1: I hope so. You know, give you something to do as you're are trying to keep your your, your sanity in your four walls.
0: Yeah. And that was my talk with the wonderful Bernard Addison. Special thanks to him for coming on the show today. Wow, that was quite a note to end on. Um, And I think we can all agree that community connection and communication are more vital now than they've ever been. We must bridge the divides. We must find out why some people are in pain and how we can help them and how we can let them be heard so that... They don't feel that they have to act in extreme measures, which is dangerous for everyone. So sending you all so much love. Take good care. Take good care of each other. And I will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening.